words have great power to them, don't they? You uh, are a person that, that understands the reality of that. Uh, and, and I think sometimes it's easy to forget. Uh, sometimes it's easy to, to kind of move away from that. So we've been um, in this series looking at the word on words for the month of July. It's been my delight and honor to be here with you all as, uh, as, <clears throat> as Pastor and Shauna are getting uh, some time away and on a sabbatical. I was praying driving up here today just that God would really refresh them. And, and I'm just so proud of you all. Um, every time I get to come and, and be with you, I'm just proud of the community that you are. Uh, and if you're watching online, which I know, Emma, you told me, the internet's out, so you're going to see this in recording. So just know we're thinking about you, um, and you're going to see this afterwards. And um, maybe total side note, this is just for free. Anyone else um, find it fascinating that the bookshelf in the back of that video was color-coordinated? Does anyone do that at their house? Like, you color coordinate your books? I'm proud of you if you do. Like, I was just thinking, like, wow, that was really pretty. Um, I don't think I've ever thought about doing that. Okay, so uh, total side note. Um, all right, so we have uh, launched into this series looking at the word on words. And in the very first week, we said, hey, James is introducing a, a new rhythm here. And just by chance, uh, by show of hands, anyone here have a chance to, to try to tackle memorizing James 1.19? We kind of threw it out there for you and said, hey, it's like a good thing for you to memorize this because this is a new rhythm that we're to have. Anyone brave enough today to, to want to uh, kind of give it a go at memorizing James 1.19, reciting it in, in behalf of all your peers? Um, and, and maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe you'll win something, I don't know. Um, but, like, anyone willing to give it a go? Crickets, crickets. You got it. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Well, it's, not, it's, it's like an appetizer dinner, so there you go. Um, <clears throat> so... Brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. There's this rhythm to life, and we know it's a new rhythm because it's not the rhythm of the world. Uh, the rhythm of the world is, hey, let's be quick to talk, and we talk a whole bunch, and we don't really listen a whole lot, and we get angry real fast. That's the culture in which we all live. We all have to navigate. But James is saying, listen, here's a new rhythm for those of you who are followers of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just here, someone invited you and they promised you lunch, I hope it's a great lunch. Um, and I hope that you just would kind of feel like maybe you can begin to put down some spiritual roots because Living Word's a great place to begin to investigate this guy, Jesus. And what Jesus did is he changed people's lives. He changed his brother's life, James. James didn't want anything to do with Jesus necessarily before the resurrection. And then the resurrection of Jesus happened, and it changed everything for James. And he became the leader of the Jerusalem church. And he's the one who writes the book, James, who says, listen, here's the new rhythm that you're to have with your speech. And then last week, we kind of looked at this idea of where he goes into James chapter 3, and he says, listen, the tongue is untamable. Remember James 3, 2? We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Anyone here perfect? Nope. Okay. Able to keep their whole body in check. He's saying, listen, the tongue is a small part of your body, but it has huge influence on your relationships, has huge influence on the trajectory of your life, 
the impact of your life, how things go in your life, we all know this to be true. It will influence the direction and quality of your relationships, your life, and even your future. And what the, the takeaway last week was simply this. Your mouth cannot be tamed. It can only be guarded. It's a constant tension that we will have to wrestle with. It's not a problem we're going to solve and be done with it. You're never going to arrive and go, hey, I don't have any more problem with my tongue. No. Like from your very first word to your very last word, it's going to be this tension you and I are going to have to wrestle with. God, how do I use my words? Help me to guard my words. And today, what I want to do is kind of go into another section of what we see in the scriptures and when the scriptures have to say about our words. And and to get there, I want to dive into the person of Paul, the Apostle Paul. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to get there in a minute. But I want to unpack, especially for those of you who might be new to church, maybe you don't know who the Apostle Paul is. The Apostle Paul was not his original name. And I think it's important to understand that. Just like James had the story, maybe he was skeptical about Jesus, and Jesus' resurrection changed things for Paul. Um, Well, Paul was actually Saul. That was his name before. And he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a religious leader to the hilt. Like, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In the Jewish context, he was, like, top-notch. And he was all about Judaism and all about the reality of, of trying to to, to live that out in this, this little sect uh, of what people thought was a cult at the time, what people thought was just this weird thing called the way, people of the way, Jesus, and, and this idea of following a resurrected Savior. They hadn't got their mind around that yet, and that began to grab traction, and Saul actually went to stamp out the church. That's what he was about. In fact, you can read about it in Acts chapter 7, the beginning early part of the church history and church story, is that he actually oversaw the stoning of Stephen. It's, now, when you hear the word Stephen was stoned, he, he wasn't like high. Um, like he got you know, rocks thrown at him until he died. Like that's the reality of what stoning was in the first century. And so the reality is he oversaw that, and he actually began to go town to town to town, Saul did, to stamp out this, this movement of Jesus and the early church that was following this resurrected Savior. Now, what's interesting to know about that is that was the trajectory of Saul's life. He was a religious guy, and he was trying to stamp out this little church that seemed to deviate away from Judaism, was actually the fulfillment of. And Jesus is the Messiah the resurrected one, the one we gather to worship today, which is so sweet uh, and beautiful to be a part of. And what you read in Acts chapter 9 is that this Jesus actually ends up having a conversation with Saul, so much so that he kind of blinds him, knocks him off his horse. They have a conversation. Saul goes blind for a few days, has to kind of crawl into the city. People guide him in there. Uh, Another person uh, of faith, of Jesus comes and prays for him. He gets his eyesight back. And this is the conversion of Saul. And Jesus changes his name to Paul. And you'll be glad he did because he wrote half of your New Testament. So Jesus changes lives of people. So a guy who was trying to bent out to destroy the church actually wrote half your Bible. What? Yeah, because the words of Jesus change lives. Words are powerful. And and Jesus spoke into Saul's life, who became Paul, and he begins to write this letter to the church in Ephesus where he has some things to say. We'll unpack that. And then I want to drill down on one particular verse. In fact, you were probably given a card on your chair when you came in 
that actually had the James 1.19, you could have read it and got $10 gift card. But just saying, you may want to memorize this for next week. Just saying. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> in Ephesians chapter 4, here's what Paul begins to write. After his life has been totally radically changed, the Holy Spirit's inspiring him to write this letter to the church in Ephesus. And here's what he begins to say. Starting in verse 17. Therefore. <clears throat> anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask what's the therefore. Okay. That's a, that's a freebie. Um, therefore, I say this and I testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Paul is writing to people who are not followers of Jesus, and he's saying, listen, they have been darkened in their heart. They've given themselves over to the pursuit of more and more and more, and you are to be different. That's what he's saying. Different in every aspect. Different in how we live. Different in how we perceive. Different in how we converse. You're to be different than the world around you. Paul is writing to a worldview of the day. The worldview of the pagan world was a very polytheistic culture. It was. It was this idea of multiple gods and multiple deities. It was kind of influenced by Greek mythology, and, and all of that began to, to permeate around the first century. Here was how the first century understood might makes right. If you have power, then you're the one in right and you're the one who's in charge. People with the gold make the rules. Like people who have the money influence how things actually operate. No one else matters but you. Everyone is for themselves. It's a winner-take-all kind of world. Now, aren't you glad that 2,000 years later, we have evolved in humanity that this is not the reality of our day. That was sarcasm. <clears throat> the reality is like, wow, humanity is humanity. No matter how smart or advanced we think we are, this is what has shaped everything. The reality is, as we approach understanding our cultural moment, is that everyone in the world, especially the Western world, should be very grateful for Jesus, for the Apostle Paul, and for the church. Because what, what they were advocating, most of us now assume. Let me unpack that. You assume that everyone has individual rights. That everyone has individual value. That's assumption of our day. Uh, in our cultural moment, we assume people are, have value to them. People have value not based on what they produce, but just on being who they are. You assume that a woman should be treated the same with the same respect as a man. That's an assumption I'm assuming you have. It's an assumption that we have in our cultural moment. You assume that poor people should not be picked on, that they should be given the same dignity as those who have wealth. You assume that sexual assault and abuse are wrong anytime, every time. That's the assumption that we have in our cultural moment. That was not the assumption of the first century world. Might makes right. Whoever had the power can do anything they want. To whomever they want. And so even though we may still have some of those underpinnings, things have changed. And what we assume was something that the church and Jesus and Paul advocated for way back then 
And the Western world has been changed. In fact, what they understand is that we assume that it be true because of uh, the, the dignity of the individual is, in most, is most pronounced in the countries in our generation where Christianity has had influence in that culture. The teaching and influence, men, women, children, are made in the image of God. Therefore, intrinsic value is given to them by their creator. That was not the norm in the first century. But it's sort of the norm now, even though we still get it skewed and we still have it fractured in a lot of ways. But Jesus and the Apostle Paul advocated for what we assume. And so when Paul is writing this, he's writing um, to a worldview that was different. And he's saying, I want you to be different than the world around you. And then he kind of continues. He uses a different kind of imagery here throughout this section. He uses the imagery of kind of taking off and putting on. Here's what he says, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, taking on and putting or taking off and putting on. As we move into cooler weather, can we just all speak this into existence, that one day it will not be hot again. <laughs> Eventually, come like Christmas, we will trade in our T-shirts and shorts for sweaters and jackets, and won't that be nice? Like, change will come. It feels like it takes forever here uh, in Arizona, but eventually change will come. And what we begin to see is this cooler weather. This is taking off of one thing, putting on of something new. Paul is kind of saying, listen, those of you who have said yes to Jesus, you have taken off this old self, and you're putting on this new self. You are to be different than the world around you because of a decision that you made to follow this resurrected Savior that you have put your faith in. This verb to put off is this aorist tense. It describes a definite act. It wasn't a all the time thing that you do is a once-time decision. It was when you came to a place of putting on Jesus, you took off your old self, and now you're being transformed and changed from the inside out. He speaks about this earlier in Ephesians, where he says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It's not something you conjure up and do. It's a gift from God. Not by work so that no one can boast about it. Look at me, look at me. No, this is look at Jesus, look at Jesus. He did something. And when you've exchanged your life with him, this gospel exchange, where I'm not basing my life anymore on what I do, but on what he did, what he accomplished, and now I'm trying to put on the new self where he's transforming me to be more like him. This is what Paul's getting at through this whole entire uh, book, really. He's given us an invitation to exchange this worldview that used to be to this new worldview that's this gospel-infused, exchanging for the, my best efforts for God's amazing grace that it begins to change me. This is the good news of the gospel, that we can live life with God through faith in Jesus. And it begins to change how we speak. It begins to change how we live. It begins to change how we see the world around us. It begins to change how we interact with the people that we bump into in life. It begins to change all things. And then in verse 29, he gets to this verse that I want to spend the rest of the time kind of unpacking. This idea of how it influences our, our conversation and our tone. Here's what he says, Ephesians 4, 29. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, you have that on your card. I'm just thinking out loud with you that you could take this home and put it on your fridge. And this week, you could, I don't know, try to memorize it. Because maybe when you come next week, you might have a chance to win something. Just saying. I'm thinking out loud with you that Ephesians 4.29 is not only this idea of, we, we looked at a new rhythm that James introduces. Paul introduces here a new purpose to our words. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who talk. No, may it benefit those who listen. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. A new rhythm and now a new purpose. This is a powerful statement that, that Paul is trying to get us to. This is the new purpose for us to build people up. See, we use our words and our cultural context to fill up conversation. You did it before service started. You had conversations with people and you were conversing. You were filling up the room with conversation because you were making small talk. You were reconnecting. You were checking in with people. We do this naturally. We fill up the conversation space. Anyone ever had the awkward moment? They say this happens every six minutes in a conversation where you're just talking and then all of a sudden, So, how about the weather? And then you start up the conversation again, right? In the conversational lull, everyone, anyone ever experienced this? When you're in a conversation, like, you like the person. Like, you're having a conversation, and then you get to a point where you're like, yeah, I'm out. I don't know what else to say. Go, the weather. Yeah, we can talk about the weather. Okay, uh, we can talk about the sports team, whatever. Uh, and, like, you kind of get to that lull. We have a tendency to use our words to fill up conversation. What Paul is actually drilling is a, drilling down a little bit deeper to say, listen, don't just fill up conversations. Don't just fill up, but you be a person who builds up in your conversation, which is slightly different and way more impactful. Our words count, much like the video that you watched today. <clears throat> Think about all those kids, and they're asking the question, here's, man, here's what I appreciate about my mom, my dad, the conversations that they've had. Listen, I know <clears throat> because we're human, we've all been on the receiving end of some conversations we wish we were not on the receiving end of, right? But I bet you can retrace and remember some conversations that you're so grateful that people actually spoke those words into you and over you and, and, and built you up in a way. That you think back to the adults who had an impact on you when you were a kid growing up. And I bet some of those conversations were, were people, men and women, who were building you up in conversation. They may not have pulled punches. They may have challenged you at times, but they were still building into you. They were helping you learn that words matter. We live in a cultural moment where we try to use most of our words to tear down. We've become so polarized in so much of our conversation. And I'm not even talking just political. We've become so polarized in a lot of ways that if you're not part of my tribe, if you're not part of how I see things or how I want to relate to things, then I'm going to use my words to tear down and blast and put you on blast. And I think that's where this new rhythm, everyone should be quick to listen, 
slow to speak, slow to become angry, and this new purpose. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Uh, What if you were to spend this week doing a word inventory for yourself? Just kind of put yourself on, on a ticker in your own from right now through next Sunday. God, help me to see the conversations I have this week. Where am I building up and where am I tearing down? And if you just take a mental note of where am I using my words to build up and to build into people, or where am I using my words to tear down and kind of chip away at people? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. What's interesting is this unwholesome talk in Greek is this Greek word sapros. Sapros. Do not let any, any unwholesome sapros talk come out of your mouth. Do you know what uh, sapros means? Sapros means this. It means if you went out to dinner tomorrow night, how many of you like fish? Okay. How many of you don't like fish? Perfect. Just pretend you like fish. So like, let's say you went out to a restaurant and you're like, I suddenly like fish. And so you ordered fish and the, the, the chef of the entire restaurant brought out a plate to you. It was like, I have worked hard on this, and I have brought it to you. I hope you appreciate this fish. I heard that you didn't like fish, but I think you're going to like this fish. Here you go. And you plate, they lift off. They even put like a napkin over it for the big reveal, and they pull it off. And here's what you see. You see a head of a fish with the eyeball that you can poke. You see all the bones and the scales have been scraped off and put onto the plate. And that's what they're serving what would you do in that moment? How many of you might have a little <laughs> kind of moment? Uh, maybe you would simply say, some of you are so nice, you would be like, this is the best $25 I've ever spent. Um, and inside, you would be like, I'm tortured right now. Um, but some of you, like, you would be like, uh, <laughs> no, wrong table. Um, this is not what I ordered, right? When you got fish, what you want is the meat of the fish. You want the good stuff. You don't want the bad stuff. Sapros is putrid, rotten fish. That's what it means. Don't have fish mouth is what Paul is saying. Don't don't let sapros become a part of the words that you use. Do not let any unwholesome, some sapros, do not let any sapros come out of your mouth. Putrid, disgusting, smelly, stinky fish. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. This goes back to James chapter 3. You've got to guard your mouth. I do too. Uh, We don't get a pass on that. We don't arrive someday and suddenly stop doing that. We have to watch over this. This is more than just be nice or be kind. I love Ben's Bells. My wife has been awarded Ben's Bells from her school, and I love the whole adage of be kind. I get it. But this is not just be nice and be kind. You may have heard your mama tell you a long time, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all, right? Okay, this is not what Paul is saying. Sometimes it is important to keep your mouth shut, especially when you're riled up. But what Paul is saying is, listen, you need to be more than just be nice. You need to be helpful, which is different than just being nice. You need to be helpful. Our words are, uh, well, hang on. I'll be back. Our words 
are like a construction zone. I remember when we, our water main broke at our house and we had to dig this giant hole out by the curb and they had to put a big cone over top of it so that people wouldn't trip into the hole. And you probably have done some construction stuff at your house or uh, maybe at your parents' house or whatever it may be, but you have to put out some cones. Like you see it as a construction zone. I, I want you, the next time you see a cone on the side of the road, I want you to think of Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any fish mouth come out of you. Don't, don't sapros the conversation. But I want you to be helpful. Which I want you to see your conversations as construction zones. Means don't just be nice, be helpful. Uh, let your conversations build up into people. Help build up this person to become aware of the one who wants to build into them and to do something great through their life. Help build up this person to be more and more what God is developing them to be. Help build up this person who is able to move forward and grow in life and in their spiritual journey. Build up and be helpful. That could be words of love, encouragement. It can be words of challenge, too. How many of you are grateful for the challenges that have been pushed at you sometimes? Hopefully they did it well, but you received it well, and it actually made you a better person. This isn't always about flowery language. We can challenge people, but we do it in a way that we're not serving up putrid fish. We're serving it in a way that's going to be helpful to them. Be helpful with your words. It means you have to be aware of the person in front of you. You have to be dialed in to the moment. So many of us in our cultural speed don't have time for that. Listen, I'll just be honest. Have you ever been in a conversation where the conversation's going and your mind is not there? I don't think I'm alone in that. You ever been in a conversation where you're like, oh, you're telling that story. Oh, wow, that story is still going. Oh, wow, this story is a lot longer than I envisioned it would be. Um, and uh, I am now thinking about lunch and I'm thinking about everything else. And like, like your, your mind is somewhere else. You know what? You can be in that moment. You can be nice but I bet you can't be very helpful because your mind is somewhere else. That means you have to pay attention to what's happening in the moment. I have to be tuned in. It takes my energy. It takes my focus. It takes my time. And so often we are too busy to invest the time it takes to be helpful. So we settle for being nice. That's okay. I'd rather you be nice than mean. But what Paul's driving is that we would be helpful. We would see our conversations as construction zones. We would be helpful more than nice. Every conversation is a chance, an opportunity for us to build up and to build into that when they leave your presence, they leave better because they've been there. What would that mean to you? What would that mean to the people around you? That as they had a conversation with you, that you approached it as this is an opportunity for God to construct. God is already working in this person's life. He's already building something. What I want to do is step into this moment to be a co-builder with him. What I don't want is to not be helpful. Anyone ever heard of Habitat for Humanity, right? So Habitat for Humanity um, builds houses for underprivileged. 
and they um, build these homes. They have crews that would come together. Let's say we all were on a crew to build a Habitat for Humanity home, right? And we showed up, and they had all the walls built. What they're needing is a roof. Can we all agree that a roof is important on a home, right? Yes? Three people agree that a roof is important on a home. Okay, so all of us agree a roof is important on a home. We show up, all the walls are built, and we say, listen, we're here to work. And we go and build eight more walls. And the construction crew looks at us at the end and says, hey, thanks for investing your eight to ten hours. That's awesome. Thanks for being nice. But we needed a roof. Not more walls. I mean, I guess maybe we could repurpose these for other walls and other homes. But, like, this, this, this couple needs a roof. They needed helpfulness in that moment, not just niceness. Do you, do you understand? Every conversation is a construction zone. Every conversation God is already building into people. What he's wanting is for his followers to approach the conversation and realize I have an opportunity here to build into what God's doing. What I don't want is to destroy or delay what God's doing. I don't want to just settle and be nice. I want to be helpful. And that's a big difference. What Paul's challenging us is to say, listen, be helpful with your words. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of you. Don't have fish mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up according to whose needs? According to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. According to their needs, not mine. Listen, when we approach most of our conversations, we are in it for ourselves. That's just human nature. We approach it and we say we want to be the ones who get um, <coughs> seen as intelligent, seen as smart. Uh, we want to speak our mind, and that's okay. But Paul's saying, listen, approach the conversation where you're, you're trying to understand their needs in that moment, not just your own. Then it may benefit those who are listening, not just you who are talking. So much of our words are spoken to help us feel better or sound better or come off looking smarter or more knowledgeable so that I benefit. I want to tell my story. I want to tell my zinger. I want people to, have, to go, oh, wow, look at that person, what they said. No, no. I want the conversation, the construction zone, to be helpful to the one who's there. And if I approach the conversation that way, and if they approach the conversation that way, guess who wins? You both do. That's the blessing that Paul's trying to introduce. He says, listen, I want you to have a new purpose for your words. Paul continues. He goes on, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who is in you. That as a follower of Jesus, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. God is with us all the time. He is in every conversation. And if every conversation is a construction zone, and every conversation, I want to make sure that I'm not just serving up gross fish. I want to make sure that I'm being helpful and building up the people around me. Use your words not to demolish what God is building, but build up into that person and what he's already constructing. Don't short-circuit what God is building with that person. Don't let your words be the reason that God has to go back and do some more renovation. 
because of their interaction with you. God is already at work, and he wants to partner with you. He goes on, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Friends, you cannot be a builder if you're bitter. You cannot be a person who builds up the people around you if you're bitter. Bitterness has a way of sinking deep into us and it begins to creep out in our intent, in our demeanor, nonverbal, verbal, into our conversations. It has a way of leaking. You cannot be a builder if you're bitter. Your bitterness will seep into the conversations and communication if you don't deal with it and begin to unpack it. The stink and stench will come from the tone of voice that you use and how you interact in conversation. It affects the content and the intent of everything you say. It affects your tone, your tactics, your treatment. It affects what you say and what you refuse to say. You cannot build up if you're bitter. And so what do you have to do? You have to get rid of the bitterness, which means you have to practice forgiveness. You have to pack it up and take it out. See, forgiveness is a decision to give someone from your past something they didn't deserve so that we are freed up to give the people in our present what they do deserve. If every conversation is a construction zone, then don't let the wounds from your past influence your present. Because then you'll approach this construction zone and you'll begin to serve up rotten fish. You've seen it. Listen, if we're honest, you've done it. So have I. I've brought the bitterness that I carry around in me into these construction zone conversations. And I, it, suddenly it turns from, I may want to be nice, but I'm not being very helpful because it's the bitterness that's seeping out from me. And so what the scriptures say over and over is you've got to get rid of that that bitterness. You've got to let forgiveness do its work in your own heart so that when you approach conversations, you're not approaching it with baggage. Here's what it means to live with forgiveness. It means you get rid of it. That's In Greek, the get rid of means to get rid of. Did you know that? Um, <clears throat> like to get rid of it means I don't carry it around. I don't have trash bags with me in my bitterness. It means I get rid of it. I take it out to the curb and let Jesus deal with it and he picks it up and takes it away. I don't have to carry it with me any longer so that when I approach the conversations that are in construction zones, I don't bring my bitterness to it. I can actually bring my awareness of who Jesus is and what he's doing. I can be alert and in the moment where I can try to build up the person that I'm speaking with. I can try to build into the per- I can actually join Jesus in what he's doing in the conversation and the construction of what he's doing in the transformation of people around me so that when I leave this construction zone, They leave better because of that. Now, let me just ask a rhetorical question. If the church got better at this, do you think we might have more influence? If you got better at this, do you think your relationships would get to a better level? If you got better at this, do you think your relationships would suffer or be blessed? I think they'd be blessed. That's why I think even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you just practiced this, if you just worked on finding that new rhythm, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, 
if you just worked on, hey, I want to have a new purpose with my words. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, and it may benefit those who listen. If you just did this, I promise you, you're the one who's going to be blessed, and you'll be a blessing to the people around you. He goes on, verse 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Be kind, compassionate, be helpful, build up. Our world does so much to demolish with our words, tearing down. But the truth is the strongest people I know use their words to build others up. The weakest people I know use their words to tear people down. You know that to be true. And it's in your weak moments that you use your words to demolish and destroy and to tear down. But it's in your best moments that you see a conversation as a construction zone and you build up and you build into every conversation. So what Paul says is, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't serve up fish mouth. You be a person <clears throat> who builds and is helpful, builds up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Friends, this is a challenge. It is not easy when you're tired. It's not easy when you're sad. It's not easy when you're bitter to approach conversations as a construction zone. That's the reality. And so this begins with saying, God, I'm going to work on my stuff because I can only control me. I'm going to work on my stuff. I need you to work on me. And so then when I've let go of the bitterness, I've, I've walked into your forgiveness, and I'm, I'm healthy, I'm not tired, I can work on things. Now I can approach a construction zone conversation, and I can seek to be more than just nice. I can be helpful. So Ephesians 4.29, friends, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So Father, Jesus, we see you have done this all over the gospel accounts. Everywhere we look, the conversations people had with you were challenging at times. I think of the rich young ruler who thought he had it all put together, and yet your challenge was to, to let go of things because you knew something was holding him back, and he didn't choose to do it in that moment. It was tough to watch him walk away. But it was helpful to him, even though maybe he didn't recognize it in the moment. I think of the, the woman who was caught, and the crowd is around her, and they've got stones where they want to deal with it, and you just bent down and you drew in the dirt because you knew anger was going to take over that moment and you distilled it. It was a construction zone that could have been destructive and you turned it to build up and to build into, to speak hope and forgiveness and a newness of life into her life. Jesus, everywhere we look in the gospel accounts, every conversation you had, people left better. And we want to become those kind of people. And so would you give us the attentiveness we need? Would you give us the insight we need? Would you give us the, the
the presence, to be fully present in the moment, to approach conversations as a construction zone, to lean into those moments that we're not just settling to be nice, but we're leaning in because we want to be helpful. We want to build up and build into the people around us that we might be a blessing. And Father, that we may have people that approach it the same way into us and our conversations, that we might be built up and built into so that we're blessed the same. So as we worship you now, would you let these words wash over us? Would you continue to move in our hearts to be these kind of people that live with a new purpose to our words this week, God? This week, would you help us to make progress, to be people who speak and build up and build into those around us, we pray.